Good morning. This is the liveliest first service I've been in in a long time. <laughs> you guys, you guys liking the new 9 a.m. service or what? Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. This is going to be easy. I, I think I'd just like walk off the stage and be like, you guys are already blessed. Church is over. Um, wow. 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 Um, before we get started, I want to just highlight one thing, and this is one of our missions partners and just a prayer point. Um, you may not realize this, but if, if you like, you come to New Life and you maybe tithe, give in the offering, we, we actually reserve 10% of, of every dollar to, uh, to, we dedicate it to a, a local and global outreach budget. And um, so when you give in the offering, you're also donating um, in part to, to local and global outreach. And so I want to give you an update on one of our ministry partners, uh, the Pereiras in, uh, in Central Asia. This is, the, this is the family. You may, if you've been around here for the past few years, they've actually visited us just a, a couple times over the past probably five years. And um, one of the, some specific ways that you can be praying for them is uh, I say Central Asia because they're in a part of the country where it's not necessarily popular to, uh, to be a Christian. And so pray for them in starting a new training program in the fall where they have 25 new missionaries that are coming in to be trained. Amen? They have uh, two new church plants. One of them is to Afghan refugees. Uh, they pray for uh, some new ministry teams that are starting up um, in 10 different locations, locations like Yemen and Iran. Um, pray for their son, Lucas. Uh, he's the one on the left. Yeah, just about a month ago, he had a seizure, found out that he has epilepsy. He's now on medication and uh, he's doing well, but obviously we just need to continue to pray for, uh, for God's hand on this family. They've been just over in Central Asia, just doing an amazing work and that is expanding and growing. And so would you just, as you just look at that picture, would you just join me in praying for them? Lord, I just thank you for the Pereiras. I thank you for their friendship personally, but I also thank you for your hand on them um, and their ministry as they are literally just walking out what is before them that you've placed on them, the burden that you've placed on them for Central Asia. I ask that everything that they touch would grow. Lord, I pray that as they move, that like God, you would move with them. You would go before them, behind them, beside them, above them. Lord, that, that you would just cover their family. I pray right now specifically for Lucas. I pray for, uh, for miracle healing over his epilepsy, the diagnosis of that, Lord, that that would be gone in Jesus' name, that he would be able to do um, his his, his YWAM DTS that he's ready to go to and uh, without any fear of any of those things re resurfacing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Um, real quick, one, Alessandro wrote to me last week with a special request. Um, his influence and leadership is quickly expanding to other countries and um, their ministry is growing. The pizzeria, you may remember, um, is being used as like a self-sustaining ministry model uh, in surrounding areas. And so between now and the end of the year, he has five ministry trips, uh, some of them to like Pakistan, Afghanistan, South Africa, Thailand, like all of, over the place. Um, so if God puts it on your heart to specifically, like we, we support them as a church, but um, specifically contribute to them, um, you can give online. We've got a little drop-down menu on our giving page. Uh, just says literally Outreach Omega International, which is the name of their ministry. And uh, uh, it says Pereiras. So just be praying about that. If God puts that on your heart, I just encourage you to just pour into that as God is just expanding um, and bringing new ministry opportunity to them. Amen? Yeah. All right, cool. Well, listen, uh, we are concluded in our On Mission series. And uh, I've, been, I've been praying about like what, 
what are we going to go through next? Because historically, what I try to do is like, we'll, we'll do something that's maybe like a, a topical uh, series where we're going through something that I just feel like God is wanting to just pour into us as a people. And then we'll go through a book of the Bible, uh, a portion of the Bible together. Because I just, I love just walking through God's word and not, um, and just preaching on things that I wouldn't necessarily normally preach on. And so one of the things, the books that just keep, kept coming up to me over the past few weeks was the, the book of Nehemiah. And I, I just kept pushing it away. I was like, no, no, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes as a preacher, I'm like, Lord, is this for me? Is this for us? And tr just trying to discern between the two. And so last Sunday, um, I get a text from uh, my good friend, Michael Milne, who uh, he says, I, I just feel like I, I just have a word, um, a prophetic word for you. And if you don't know Michael, uh, him and his wife, Terry, have been here at New Life uh, for over six years. Uh, he's ministered all over the nation and even the world in prophetic ministry for decades. Uh, personally, he's been a source of encouragement to me, wisdom for me and for many others uh, in the church. Some of you have even received prophetic words that, um, that, he, that he's given you. And um, he's even brought some teaching to our staff over this past year on, on the gift of prophecy. And so whenever Michael says to me or texts me, like, I feel like I have something to share, I'm all ears. Like, I'm all ears because, because I not only trust his gift, I trust his character. Do you know how sometimes you can trust somebody's gift, but you're questioning their character? When, when you have both going at the same time, you trust character and gifting, my goodness, it's, uh, it's awesome. And so um, we, he shared this, this word with me, and I just, it was a personal confirmation for me of, like, of what I was praying about, which nobody else had any idea of, but it was also a course setting for our church. And um, so I want to invite him up, Michael, where you usually sit right there. Come on up here. Um, can, Tom, can I get that microphone? Can you give him that microphone? Make sure it's on. Um, I wanted to invite him up because, so if you've never witnessed like the work of the Holy Spirit work through an individual through a word of prophecy, then um, I want to invite him to just personally um, share that with you guys. And, and I would just say like, um, sit up. <laughs> sit forward and listen. Um, someone's sitting next to you, they're already asleep. Give him an elbow. Uh, it's time, time to pay attention. Okay? You get it? All right. Go ahead. What I just want to say before prefacing that, the last song we sang, there's, there's a verse in it that I felt was really impacting, and impacting for us all, too. And in the last song, it said, you'll do what you said, for you're the same God now as you've always been, right? How many of us here in the church today can raise our hand and say, I've had a miracle? If you have, raise your hand. I've had an answer. Raise your hand. Or if you give me a word, Lord, that's true, raise your hand. Amen. Look at that. And this is what we're talking about. God wants to minister to us and speak. So I shared this with Pastor Justin and a couple men last week. And I felt the Lord saying, New Life Church is now entering a Nehemiah time. You've sought me and even wept of what you've seen and desire to have my spirit released for all to see. You found favor with the king of heaven and the king of the region, like Nehemiah. So, I'm preparing to have New Life Church enter a time of building for the future. It's a time to call forth the builders, warriors, and watchmen of NLC to train and prepare for what is to come. Just as Nehemiah surveyed the broken walls of Jerusalem, 
so too you've surveyed the spiritual and natural land around you. It's time to build and strengthen the walls of the church while expanding your borders of influence in the region to the lost and hurt. Abiding close to me will release the fullness of my plans, power, and grace to achieve all of my intent through NLC. To build and strengthen the walls require all the people whose gifting I am calling forth. Builders were called by Nehemiah as well as warriors and watchmen on the walls. Each group provided an integral part in their time. Just as each was trained and directed by me for a divine purpose, you too have a divine purpose in your time. For Nehemiah's time, some built while some stood guard, and others watched into the distance for enemies. There is a little difference between that time and the present because your heart is similar to Nehemiah's. It's time for builders, warriors, and watchmen to become strengthened and equipped to fulfill their purpose within the greater purpose that I have for NLC. I've called you at the beginning of this year to have an on-mission mindset, seeing and fulfilling it in your daily lives. I've called you to live in such a way where my presence is revealed both in and outside the church. The time is at hand to make my presence known throughout and through functioning with all hands on deck. As New Life Church enters the second half of 2023, it's time to begin to train and strengthen the builders, warriors, and watchmen, placing them in their appointed places. It was through dynamic faith that all was possible for Nehemiah, and so it is for you too. Be expectant for more of my direction and favor through the power of Jesus as my presence and my words are revealed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and, it, and sometimes, you know, you catch things, you're like, what did he say there, what did he say there? Guys, make sure that that is cut into the, the sermon uh, when it's published on, on Tuesday. So if you want to go back, you can listen to it online and kind of scrub to the, the beginning of the message to be able to hear that. If you feel like there was something in there for you uh, that you felt like God was speaking to you about. I truly believe that there are times and seasons where God is wanting to activate something in the body of Christ. Uh, there's times where we're like, where we're planting, where we're preparing and all of this things and then there are there are these times these activation seasons which is what I feel like God is like moving us into um, where there's giftings and talents and passions that may have lied dormant for for a time and then God is saying now is the time like he resurrects things and reminds his people um, for such a time as this. And so I just, I just speak those words of, of activation. I hope that that was encouraging to you. And I know, it was, I know it was to me personally, but also to us as like a course setting for, for us as we move forward. What I love about our Heavenly Father is that he tends to use very ordinary everyday people. Like just run-of-the-mill everyday people. Um, and he uses us to accomplish his dreams, to accomplish his visions. Um, and this, this series, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, is for everyday people, it's for ordinary people who are willing to dream with God, who not, not just dream with God, but dream of what could be in the midst of what is. And so this series is for people who need encouragement to continue to keep on carrying the burden that God has placed on them, 
This series is for people who just need to be encouraged to rise up to be the leader that, who is, who's willing to step into the uncomfortable in order for God to do the impossible. And it comes uh, for people that are willing to pay the price for leadership. Because leadership always comes with a price. Sometimes it's a price of pain or unthankfulness or rejection or heartache or even tears. It comes with a price of being maligned, misunderstood, or even sabotaged. That oftentimes is the price that you pay for leadership, but it is the heart of leadership that makes it worth it. Because if it was easy, then everyone would do it. Amen? Amen. So when we look at this life of Nehemiah, he's an ordinary man who had a burden, a burden for the condition of his people. And maybe you can relate, maybe as you like read the news or you look around at our world or you look around at our state or our country or our city or you look around at our schools or you look around at our families and the state of of just individuals and you may be able to relate to Nehemiah where he literally pretty much says, I cannot stand by and do nothing. Somebody has to do something. But Nehemiah, this is what I love about him, he takes it a step further and he says, it might as well be me. It might as well be me. And so as we look at him, this guy, he was a Jew in the 5th century BC. He was living in exile in Persia. Israel was a, a vassal state to Persia which means that they were not independent. The, Israel, the Israelites were not an independent people. They paid their taxes to Persia and to their king. And the king's name, you should probably know it, is Artaxerxes. So if you're pregnant and you are looking for a boy's name, and you want one that is not already taken, like Noah, Liam, or Oliver, then you need to, that's a strong choice. I'm just saying Artaxerxes, it's a hard spelling, but a strong choice. Um, We also know not only kind of the state of Israel, we know about Nehemiah, we know about his career, what his career is. In in chapter 1, verse 11, it says, he actually says, I was a cupbearer to the king. You probably don't know many career cupbearers these days. Um, And no, I don't mean your uncle with like a permanent can koozie in his hand at the lake. I mean like, I mean like cupbearing is kind of a bit of a lost art in our modern society. So if you've never heard of that, that term before or that career, um, let, me, let me kind of define it for you. The cupbearer to the king was a person who would taste the king's food and taste the king's drink before the king consumed it so that if or when someone tried to poison the king, it did not go well for the cupbearer. <laughs> but long live the king right? Like he was, uh, this position of being a cupbearer to the king was obviously a position that required a very high level of trust between the king and his cupbearer. Because you begin to trust somebody when they're putting their life on the line every time you ask for a drink, right? And so Nehemiah is not just like his personal servant who's just, you know, he's not a waiter, he's not a butler, he's not just bringing him food and bringing him drink and all of those things, he would have been like a trusted personal counsel to the king. So let's get started. Verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. You know the month of Kislev, right? January, February, Kislev. Um, 
just in case you don't know, it's, uh, it's December. December. Kids live is December. So remember that. It'll come in handy later. In the 20th year, while I was in the city, Citadel of Susa, Hen and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. And that word disgrace, it gives kind of a context of being bullied, despised, full of shame. So the people that were able to leave Persia and go back to their homeland in Jerusalem are not having a good time there. They are they're despised, they're full of shame, they are being bullied. Why? The next verse, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, we don't have quite like an understanding of the significance of this statement um, in our culture. The walls around Jerusalem were like a heap of rubble. For you and I, it's like, okay, well, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, like, that would be like you having a house with no front door on it, just open. Anybody wants to come in can come in. It's open season for thieves, invaders. They just kind of walk in. There's nothing that you can say about it. There's nothing you can do to stop them. You don't have a front door. The hinges are taken off of your house, and they just kind of walk in and do what they want. They're being bullied. They're being disgraced. They're full of shame. They can't protect themselves, their families, their culture, nothing. You get it? So they're being bullied. They're without hope. And when you're without hope, you start to become apathetic. You start to say things like, well, it is what it is. Things are never going to change. This is just the way things are. This is the way things will always be. And so they're just without hope living in this promised place. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? It's the title of my message today. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Verse 4 says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Number one, allow God to bless you with a burden. Now, we usually think of blessings and burdens as something completely opposite of each other. Like, I want more blessings. Hallelujah. I'll accept all the blessings God wants to give me. But honestly, if I'm really, I'm trying to offload some burdens. I don't know about anybody else. Like, it seems to me that if we were to define the American dream anymore, it would be to live an unburdened life. It's not necessarily that we could work hard and be able to do everything we want. It's just like, man, I hope that I can just like get a big, a lot of money for something for not working, and then maybe I can go and retire in Boca Raton. Like in that, and that, if I could just live a, a burden-free life, that is the American dream. Because I, I don't usually think of God blessing me with a burden, but he wants to, and he does. And you may be thinking, well, I don't know about that, Pastor Justin. Like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought I wasn't supposed to carry burdens. I thought God was supposed to carry my burdens. I was supposed to give my burdens over to Jesus, and then he carries them for me. I thought that, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that kind of how things work? Like, isn't, like, living the Christian life, like living a burden-free life, because Jesus now carries those things for me? Let, me? let me read it again for us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. But make no mistake, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't say, come to me and you will live a burden-free life. It actually says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reality is, is that God's saying, like, I'm not asking you to carry the burdens of, on all the anxieties and the cares and all of those types of things, but make no mistake, you are meant to carry something. And the burden that God places on you is a blessing. And if he blesses you with a burden for something, he will equip you to carry it. In other words, if you look at it, it's God's yoke, it's God's burden that you're called to carry. It's not actually your burden. You don't own it. You're stewarding it for Jesus, which is really interesting. And I don't know if you've ever quite read that, that way before, but the reality is, it's like you aren't meant to carry all the, the worries and concerns and anxieties of this world that keep you up at night and spin you out, but you are meant to carry a burden, a God-sized burden that he wants to place on you, in you. He's gifted you for such a time as this. He's blessed you so that you can be a blessing. He gives you a yoke to carry so that you can plow new ground. Make no mistake that he does want to give you his burden. Now, but choosing to be blessed with a burden comes with a cost. If you think about it, like the cost for Nehemiah to be blessed with the burden. Nehemiah is living in the king's palace. He's eating the king's food. He's drinking the king's drink. He's an influencer. Like, I mean, he has the ear of the king. If Instagram was a thing, he'd be the guy the businesses were sending free stuff to, just hoping that he would make a post or recommend it to the king or to the king's court. He's living a pretty good life. I mean, yeah, at any moment, like he could go, right? I mean, but until then, I mean, that's the that's point for every single one of us, right? Like at any moment we could, but he's living a pretty good life. And sure, he's getting news throughout his life and, you know, he's hearing about the Jewish people suffering in Jerusalem and all of these things, but they're so far away. Where he's living in Persia, where Jerusalem is, is 800 miles away. And back then, 800 miles is even further than 800 miles is for you where you can hop in your car and just start driving. They're so far removed from each other. And not only that, I don't know if you ever thought about this, um, the walls of Jerusalem they have been broken down for 141 years at this point. They, think about this. They have been in ruin for the entirety of his life and his mom and dad's life. This is not new news. The news that he gets from his brother Hanani to come and the other guys to say, hey, how are things going and all this kind of thing? This is not news. The walls have been broken down for for 141 years. So why is he all of a sudden heartbroken about this? Let me be clear. Nehemiah is not heartbroken because he has new information. Nehemiah is heartbroken because God has blessed him with a new burden. God has burdened him for something that everyone else considers normal. Let me say that one more time. God has burdened him for something that everyone else considers to be normal. I wonder what we have become numb to in our culture. 
I wonder what normal things are actually breaking the heart of God. What have you become numb to? When was the last time that you just allowed God to place a burden on you for something? What is it that breaks your heart? What is, is, there a, is there a dream that God just continually just keeps putting in front of you? Here's a question. What do you weep about? What do you think about sometimes? Somebody really should do something about this. Maybe somebody should do something for the addicted, for the, for the sexually abused, for the orphans, for the poor. Maybe, maybe somebody should do something to stand up for the rights of the unborn. Somebody should stand up for, for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Like, don't be concerned when you feel burdened or even moved to tears about something. We should be concerned when it's been a long time since we haven't. God so wants to put a burden on his people for the things that break his heart. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? The second thing, verse four, it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The second thing we do is we choose to fast and to pray about it. Church, if it's big enough to cry about, then it's big enough to pray about. It is. Because Nehemiah is known for rebuilding a wall, but I think it's important to note that Nehemiah is not weeping about walls. He's weeping for people. It's really important because I know the whole book of Nehemiah, it's all about, you know, normally it would have like a whole set up here with a bunch of like a brick wall and we'd be showing like, hey, this is what he's all about. And this is what, no, he's not, he's not weeping over the walls. He's weeping over the condition of his people. His project may have been to rebuild a wall, but his burden was always about rebuilding a broken people. So if you want to be a godly leader who others want to follow, then ask God to give you his heart for people. It wasn't about the wall, but he knew that, it, that rebuilding the wall would protect his people. Give them, give them something worth protecting. When we look at his prayer. The first thing he does is he thanks God for his faithfulness. I love this. He says this in verse 5. He said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So not only does he just start lifting up the name of God, lifting up who he knows, his thankful for his faithfulness, thankfulness for his, for his promises, and then he starts to confess sin. Verse 6, it says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. If you just look, just keep, if you, I hope you, hope you have your Bible open to there, verse 6 and 7 right there. I want you to notice the words, I and we. Nehemiah lives, again, 800 miles away from, from all the people that are suffering, all the people that are being bullied, all the people that, are, that, that, that need help, where the wall is completely broken down. 
Notice that Nehemiah is not only confessing that he wants to be part of the solution, he's confessing that he is part of the problem. And we rarely will own our part of the solution until we're willing to own our part of the problem. He's not just saying, ah, them, and they did, and they're bad, and all this, just forgive them. He's saying, no, 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 we, I, we are at fault. And very often, we will not come to the place of really, truly owning the burden of a solution until we come to own the burden of the problem. And this relates to your marriage. This relates to parenting. This relates to relational issues, dysfunctional issues in, in, your, in, in relationships. This relates to your job. Very rarely will we be willing to, to count the cost to be the solution to the problem until we realize that we are part of the problem. See that hanky? <laughs> and then number three, he asks for favor with the king. Verse 10, it says, Lord, let your, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of the servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And then he says this, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. Just pause there for a second. Did you know that you can pray for the favor of men? Like as you're entering into crucial conversations, maybe this week you got, you got, a, you got a, like a thing going on at work or in your family, in your marriage, and you just know this is going to be, this is, you've been avoiding this conversation for a very long time. Did you know that as you enter into crucial conversations, you can literally say, God, I need your help I need favor in this situation. You can pray for the presence of God over a meeting, a tense parenting moment when all of a sudden you're like, man, I, just, I don't even know what to do in this. When you're going into a heated discussion where, where the, everything is running high, emotions are high, it's very risky. Did you know that you can literally pray, God, I need your presence. I, I need favor in this situation. You may be like, well, yeah, but that's like between two Christians. Not, not here. He's literally saying, like, I'm going to go before this king. He doesn't believe what I believe about you. I, I, I just need, I need your presence. I need your favor in this situation. I was literally praying that this week. As I was asking you to pray about my meeting with, uh, with the uh, um, city officials. We talked about the, the vision of the Hope Center in downtown Biddeford. I was, I was praying for favor. God, I pray favor over this meeting. I have no idea what to expect. I literally have no control in this situation. I pray for not only favor, but I pray. I was specifically praying for the shalom peace of God would fill that room. Because here's what I do know. When God's presence shows up, even if you don't recognize it or know who he is, all of a sudden it shifts the atmosphere of a room. I was just praying for favor. I said, God, I need your shalom peace. And you know what? I just want to tell you, he showed up. I'm telling you, it was, listen, when the anointing of God, when you're walking in God's anointing, when, when you feel the shalom peace of God in a room, when God's given you favor in, in a situation, there's no striving, there's no anxiety, there's just like, God, I'm just, I'm just taking the next step and following what it is that you're wanting to do. And not only were our city officials not against it, they were excited about it. Like they, were, they were not only accepting, they were accommodating for the church to minister hope to our city. I just want you to know that. So I'm, 
I cannot say enough good. I can't say enough good about, uh, about some of the leaders of our city and their hearts for, for the people of the city. So stay tuned as things continue to unfold. But I just want you to know, like, you can, in the midst of your own situations, in the midst of your own heated discussions or arguments or um, crucial conversations, pray for the favor of God in those situations. Amen? I encourage you to. I encourage you, as you pray, ask for favor. Ask for his presence to come so that you don't have to try to strive, manipulate, or control that the Holy Spirit is the convincer. Amen? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? The third point, be willing to be the somebody who should do something. Nehemiah Nehemiah, uh, recognized the need. He heard the need. It broke his heart. He was blessed with a burden for it. He decided to, to pray about it because it was worth crying over. It's worth praying over. And then he decided to get involved with it. And we read this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, in the month of Nisan, pause. Nisan is April. I don't expect you to know that. But what that means is this. Remember, do you guys remember what Kislev was? Yeah, wow, you were listening. Kislev is in December. Nissan, not Nissan, Nissan is in April, which means that it's been about a little over four months since God gave him the burden for these people and maybe even the, the hearts to rebuild the wall to come alongside his people. And it's been four months and nothing has happened. Have you ever been there? Where you're like, man, I came down. God just, like, yeah, I just felt like I, I received a promise from God. He gave me a burden for something. I mean, broke my heart for something. And like, I prayed about it. I felt like God was going to move. And then Monday came. Nothing. And a week goes by. Guess what? Nothing. Nothing changes. A month goes by. Two months. Three months goes by. Absolutely Nothing. And you start to question, I don't know, I do. Did I hear it wrong? God, I've been sitting on this thing for three years. Like, did I misunderstand? Like, did I not pray right? Was I not clear enough? Like, I'm on board. I want to move forward. But like, I just don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do when I don't know what to do? Am I the right person? All these questions. And the reality is is that sometimes the passing of time is actually preparation for the right time. Many times it's it's in the waiting, and I mean this, um, I'm trying to say this nicely, many times it's, it's in the waiting that will suss out whether something is emotionalism or truly a burden. What I mean by that is that, yeah, you're ready to act today, but are you, are you ready to act in six months? Is it just an emotional moment at an altar of prayer? Or are you preparing in your heart to be a person of purpose? Are you willing to act four months later when all of a sudden God places you in the situation? He says, now, go, now, go. And you're like, What? I forgot about that. I, I gave up on that. I didn't even write that thing down. What, what was I supposed to do? What was I supposed to say? Oh, yeah, it was that time when I was... Pre- 
No, no, no. Are you ready to go? Because a lot of people want to start real fast, but few finish strong. Are you willing? You're willing to act now. Or are you willing to act in four months? Are you willing to act in six months? Are you willing to act in three years? Like, will you hold on to and continue to carry the burden that God's placed on you? And he says this, in the month of Nisan, verse, verse one of chapter two, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, again, killer name, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, what is you, why does your faith Face looks so sad when you are not ill. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then it catches this. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Pause for just one second. I want you to just capture what's happening right here. He's been waiting for four months for the right time. But how many of you know when you're waiting, it never seems like the right time ever comes. Like when is that day going to be coming? You know, I've been waiting. It's been a week. It's been two weeks, three weeks, four months. I, when is this going to come? And all of a sudden, God says, here's the opportunity. And the king asks him, what is it that you want? And I want you to notice right here that he just prays on the spot. Did you realize you can do that? Like when you're in those heated situations and you're like, man, I, I literally, I don't know. He doesn't even have time. He can't say like, oh, hold on. Can I, I'm just going to go up to my prayer closet. I'm just going to go pray. I got my devotional. I haven't read today's devotional. Oh, shoot. You know, he's not, he's not like, oh, man, I just, where's my Bible? Oh, my app. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just get along with Jesus really quickly. Like he he just starts throwing up what I would say is like a flare prayer. He's like, God, give me the words. You ever been there where you're like, God, give me the words. I don't know what to say in this situation. I wasn't expecting this situation. I can't even believe that the king is actually asking me what I want. I'm his servant. And he's like, what, what is it that you want? Uh, uh, God, give me the words. Give me the words. Give me the words. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Please stand with me. I'm so excited about this series. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we talked about God's burden being light. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I want to I clarify something. Maybe you've never read it kind of that way before. You've always focused on like, well, yeah, I give him my burden and then he gives me rest, which means a burden-free life. No, no, no. Um, it says that his burden is light, not because it's not significant, but because it's simply measured differently. God's burdens are not measured by weight. Like I... I for lack of better terms, like, because we're talking about Nehemiah, it's kind of like, I was thinking about this, it's like measured in bricks or pavers. <laughs> um, the thing for us to realize is that a brick, a brick is not too heavy. Um, it's actually light. Do you know when it gets tiring? 
is when you just keep holding on to it. <laughs> I could do this for another probably 30 seconds before my arm falls off. Um, continually holding on to a brick is when it gets tiring because bricks were meant to build something with. Do you realize that? When he talks about my yoke is easy, don't forget this, yokes were meant to plow new ground with. Blessings are meant to bless others with. And when we start to look at bricks and yokes and blessings as something that we're supposed to just hold on to for ourselves, we will find ourselves getting very tired when we hold on to what God has blessed us with because it becomes your burden, not his. You start to take the things that God's placed in your hand thinking that you own them, not realizing that you're simply stewarding his gift, his passions, his talents, his burdens, his yoke that he's placed upon you, the blessings that he's given you that aren't for you. Yes, they pass through you and you get the benefit of them, but when you simply hold on to them thinking that this is the end, we fail to realize that we are actually holding on to an answer for someone else. It's not meant to be your burden. You're simply stewarding the burden for God. And I believe as we walk through this series together that God is looking for people who will come to the realization that, that the gift and the talent and the passion that they have been blessed with, the burden that they've been blessed with, the, the, the brick that they have been handed is to help rebuild God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. To take that thing which God has given you and to bless others with. And you'd be like, yeah, but you don't, like, I don't have any money. I don't have the position. I don't have the degree. I'll, I mean, I got, I got a, what, a brick? You are somebody who should do something. And God has placed his very spirit on the inside of you. He's given you gifts, ta passions, and talents. He's blessed you with a burden to be somebody who can do something. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, Nehemiah says essentially, send me so that I can rebuild it. So my question to us is this, what, what wall is God blessing you with a burden for? An area of, 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 that's in disrepair that God's calling you to rebuild? And I know I'm talking about like, like the Hope Center and those types of things. I'm, I'm just saying like in your own life, like what wall is God calling you to rebuild? Maybe it's a wall of your marriage. It's a broken relationship. Maybe it's your integrity, your purity. You've allowed an open door. You've taken the hinges off the front door and the enemy is just wreaking havoc in your life. What wall is God calling you to rebuild? Maybe it's to go back to school because you just know it's been in your heart, but you're like, but I'm too old and that time is gone and that's for young people. And maybe it's to make that commitment finally that you've been pushing off, pushing off, pushing off. What are you doing with what he's placed in your hand to use for his glory? Because what I know to be true is that walls deteriorate over time. It starts with a, with a loose stone that falls and you don't do anything about it and you just let it lie there. A crack that goes unnoticed and unrepaired. And it starts slowly. It starts with procrastination. It starts with immorality. It starts with compromise or rebellion or just, you know what, I'm just overwhelmed. 
And if you're honest, you're like, well, I'm still a Christian. Like, I'm still a Christ follower. I still love Jesus. But the enemy has been given access to an area of your life and is wreaking havoc. And some of you are allowing an open door to the enemy to become a squatter in your home. He comes in and out. He's walking into your home, opening up your fridge and stealing your sandwiches. You're like, what, what gives you the right? Well, there wasn't a front door on this thing. Well, there, there, there ought to be. Somebody should. Somebody should put a front door on my home. You're right. Somebody should. You're right. Somebody should. Maybe for some of you, it happened unexpectedly. You were literally like ransacked. Your, somebody ransacked your wall through divorce, through abuse. And you're like, I, don't, I just don't even know how to get back to where I was. Like, these walls have been torn. It wasn't anything that I let happen. It was just devastation. I want to tell you a burden. A burden begins in the heart of a person who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. Let me say that one more time. When I talk about a burden, a burden begins in the heart of a person who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. And so I want to encourage you today as we sing this last song. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's time to just get up. Maybe it's time to just get out of your seat and to, to come to allow God to bless you with a burden, to weep over it, to come to the place of surrendering something to him and saying, God, I, let today be the day where I become somebody who's willing to do the thing. God, bless me with a burden today. Allow me to be somebody who should do something. And so, Lord, I lift your name up high in this place. I pray that you would just be stirring our hearts for something that you're wanting to birth in there. God, give us, bless us with a burden for something greater than ourselves. And it may seem too big. It may seem like it's too far gone. It may seem like the relationship is completely dead and there's no hope for restoration. There's no hope for anything. Lord, I pray that you would just put something on the inside of us to, to believe what could be in the midst of what is. Allow our hearts to break for the things that break your heart. As we sing you this last song, I just want to encourage you if, you, if God calls you, just kind of get out of your seat, maybe just kneel down wherever you're at, just allow God to just break your heart, to say, God, I just surrender this area of my life to you. I surrender this thing, that I, these dreams that I've allowed just to kind of lie dormant. I let this be a, a day of activation, a day of moving forward, a day of rebuilding, renewing, revitalizing, restoring. Lord, have your way in me. Let's sing. As you feel led, I just want to encourage you to come forward.